You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Am I excited about the 12th of December? Not particularly. The time for protest is over. It's time for leadership. And that is what this government provides. In every town and village in this country, Labour will be there giving a message of real hope where this government offers nothing. People have a very clear choice. If they want Brexit, they can vote for Labour or the Conservatives or the Brexit Party. And if they want to stop Brexit, they need to vote for the Liberal Democrats. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Very good afternoon. So you join us just as we've been listening intently to Nigel Farage and the Brexit Party campaign launch uh, here in central London. As if he hadn't had enough attention in the last 24 hours. But we'll get to that (laughs) as well. So he's launching that Brexit Party manifesto saying he'll fight for a no deal Brexit, surprise, surprise, and a leave alliance in Parliament. We will contest every single seat in England, Scotland and Wales. And please don't underestimate our determination or our organisation. Indeed, next Monday we have 500 candidates coming to London and they will all be signing their candidate forms on that day and you're all very welcome to come along and to witness that. Hmm, So 500 candidates are coming. Uh, We only knew about 150 or so over the summer. So interesting that they will be visiting. Now, commenting on speculation that the Brexit party candidates might stand down in constituencies where they could threaten Conservative MPs, Farage laid out these two criteria. We are in communication with a number of MPs who are prepared to renounce the withdrawal agreement, to renounce the deal, and they themselves to stand on a ticket of a genuine free trade agreement or leave on WTO terms. And of course, in those cases where MPs say this, we will view them as our friends and not as our enemies. Constituencies in which they may have a better chance of winning and we won't bother to campaign, but equally constituencies in which we have got a better chance of winning and they won't campaign. So that's the offer to the Tories. Joining us now to discuss all this is Bloomberg's Brexit Bulletin newsletter, Adam Blendford, and Bloomberg Senior Executive Editor, David Merritt. David, let's start with you. This isn't really in the Tories' interest. In fact, a pact is never really in the bigger party's interest, I'd argue. No, that's right. And, you know, they've been uh, various overtures made and the Conservatives have been saying all along, look, we don't go into pre-election pacts. We're too big and bad on our own. We don't need anybody's help. And actually, if you look at the polls right now and the latest that are coming out, that would seem to back that up. They've got a chunky lead 
lead over Labour. Um, plenty would seem on the surface to actually win this election outright. But of course, the campaign has barely even begun and we're going to have to see how those polls shift and it's really interesting listening to Mr Farage there talking about um, pushing individual MPs to take a far harder line on Mr Johnson's uh, withdrawal agreement. We know that just before he won this election uh, uh, plan that um, all of his Tory party did fall into line behind him but the longer people start to look at this um, some of those more Brexity leaning, the ERG members, are starting to have some doubts. And Mr. Farage, they're saying, look, this Brexit deal that he's bringing is not real Brexit. Is he going to be able to persuade some of those to actually say, look, if we are re-elected back in January, we're not going to vote for this deal anymore. Amaz- That's going to be fascinating. Amazing. The whole no deal Brexit could actually be back on the agenda. Uh, well, let me turn to Adam Blenford now, Bloomberg's uh, Brexit Bulletin newsletter editor. Um, look, Nigel Farage also, of course, had the interview with President Donald Trump uh, just uh, yesterday. And that has been you know, widely played. Uh, it's really been quite a rough couple of days in some ways for Boris Johnson, the Brexit party coming out swinging. Well, you you could say that, but but um, Boris Johnson will uh, tackle this with his sort of trademark um, confidence. You know, uh-huh. he, he's he's probably relishing uh, this this campaign. He, he's just starting the campaign, and and as as David just said, um, the Conservatives are going to try and attack this campaign as the big beast. They're not going to want to compromise to Farage. Um, we're getting used to a, a sort of new reality in politics, both in the US and 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 over here, where things happen like Nigel Farage has a radio show and the president of the United States calls in and they go for a chat now you know that was a, it was it was a great uh, piece of radio it was a very interesting interview and it made a lot of news um it doesn't fundamentally change the maths that Nigel Farage is facing this morning and that's some of the stuff that he was talking about and and trying to uh, to prompt Boris Johnson to to move on this morning do you think we're going to get any uptake from Tory MPs? Because there are some of them reportedly who've been begging the Brexit party not to run against them. They say, hey, I want Brexit as much as you do. Please stand down your candidate in my constituency. Look, it, it, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, there, there's certainly some constituencies where, where the, the, the Brexit sentiment um, is, is, is extremely strong and there'll be sort of torn allegiances between those MPs who, who, who really would like a Brexit in the sort of shape that, that Farage is, is, is uh, advocating. Um, and there are reports emerging and anecdotal uh, sto- stories coming out, uh, of course, that lots of Brexit backing voters do feel quite let down mm. by the fact that the United Kingdom is still in the European Union this morning. Um, and that Boris Johnson did not deliver on the the, 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 fam- pledge, the famous yeah. pledge. Um, so we have to wait and see how that will play out. You know, the the political scientists are, are sort of and polling experts are trying to model this and working out. But everybody is saying we're, we're now in a four way election campaign with leave remain replacing left and right. If anybody says they actually know how to model this election and predict how it's going to go, they're they're making it up. Uh, David, I want to bring you in on this point because Farage was very much. Um, uh, kind of along that vein, he was also attacking Labour, saying that Mm. uh, he was referencing the uh, past election in which 
the Brexit Party, or and rather UKIP as it was, did quite well against Labour in the north. So you know he's he's not uh, he was very very pointed about saying it's not just the Tories who be, should be absolutely. scared of the Brexit Party. You know absolutely, and in fact there's an argument that the path to Johnson's victory lies with the Brexit Party stealing away some of the Labour votes. You know this election may actually turn out being to be won or lost in those seats in the north and the midlands of England and perhaps across into Wales where they voted heavily for Brexit. Um, former Labour strongholds, those are the places that Mr Johnson needs to win. And in a first-past-the-post system, he doesn't actually have to have a majority of support in those places. He just needs to get more votes than the others. And if um, some of those Labour supporters who could possibly never bear to vote Conservative, if they end up voting the Brexit Party, Mr Johnson could come um, come in by the back door, if you like, there and actually steal those seats. That's what he's got to do to actually win a majority at Westminster. Yeah, I think it's really key. It's that Tory split vote in those cultural seats, those former mining communities where the Tories are still a sort of an allergy to, to many and, and, and they can't bear to vote for them. I'm interested in this poll, this YouGov poll that came out. Um, Adam, should Labour be panicking here? Because the split vote is pretty clear. It's got Lib Dem on 34, Labour on 33. But then if you look at the, that's among Remain voters. If you look at Leave voters, Conservatives on 58 and Brexit Party on 24. So it's a much, much, much narrower gap in the Remain camp. Absolutely, because, you know, we've had a couple of years now where Labour have been attempting to sort of finesse a message and, and, and to, to, to an extent they're still trying to finesse a message, you know. Um, what what does the, what do the voters think that the Labour Party is going to do if, they're, if, if, they, if they win the voters' votes? Um, you know, they're, they're pledging to go and renegotiate a Brexit deal and then put it back to the people, but not necessarily to campaign for it. Um, that's triangulation. And the Liberal Democrats have come out very, very strongly against... Uh, pushing ahead with Brexit, you know, uh, their, their policy, if they win a majority, which is a, a kind of um, obviously very much against the odds, is to revoke Article 50 and cancel Brexit outright. So you've got more options on that Remain side um, at, with slightly less clarity. Mm. Um, I think that's right. And, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Liberal Democrats are going to have to in this campaign. And we just heard Joe Swinson saying that, didn't she? You know, it's only clear you only get properly remain or revoke if you vote Liberal Democrat. But she needs if they've got any hope of making a proper impact, they need that number to go higher. They need to capture the vast majority of people who feel so strongly about Brexit that that's going to be their deciding factor at the polls. OK, well, speaking of that, another big news story today has been Antoinette Sandback uh, defecting to the Lib Dems. She was, of course, kicked out of the Conservatives in September for voting against the government but she actually now brings up the number of uh, those uh, defections in the Lib Dems uh, to 20. Have a listen. I'm really worried about the deal that the Prime Minister currently has and I think it's right that if MPs can change their minds I think my constituents should be allowed to change their minds and I think they should have a say. There should be a confirmatory referendum. So David this is really interesting because these defections are only useful in as far as they can win these seats back. And Edisbury, the constituency that Antoinette Sandbach stands in, has been Conservative since 1983. 52% leave, really at odds with her new position. The Lib Dems, let's not forget, are essentially a revoke party now. Yeah, she's going to have a, a fight on her hands there, isn't she? Really I mean, is. what we've seen is some of the other people who've joined the Lib Dems, someone like Chuka Amuna, they've actually switched seats and they've, they're trying to pick a fight somewhere where they've got a better chance um, <laughs> of winning but you know the um the numbers here are, are are very volatile as well and and i think it's not enough just to say that well you know a constituency like that which voted along the national lines isn't prepared to switch allegiance for parties i think there was another poll out that showed 
voters' allegiances to parties really have drained away and people are more willing now to vote for parties they never would have done, even if they voted for the same thing their whole life than they've ever done before. So going back to Adam's point, really, you know, anyone who makes predictions in this election... Um, really is we're seeing yeah. to win here we're you know, in anything the wrong can happen. job aren't we in that case um, yeah that study that you mentioned uh, I wonder whether it's this that the British election study finding that almost half of voters supported different parties exactly. in the elections between 2010 and 2017 so you have almost 50% of voters switching so that is really uh, interesting just very briefly Adam that has also been a surge in voter registrations mm-hmm. this week uh, you know is that is that a solid win for Labour or for anybody what, what do you make of it? Well, the, the, the growth in voter registrations has been um, largely apparently driven by uh, voters under 35. Mm. Two thirds of something like uh, 300,000 or more have registered who are under the age of 35, with a third of the total being under the age of 25. So, you know, uh, all of the uh, previous research suggests that those voters skew towards a more remain uh, tendency, and that would potentially vote and you know in, in the last election Jeremy Corbyn and Labour did very well with students and young people we have to see whether he can repeat the trick seven second time around he's a known quantity now yeah. um, or are they going to go to the Liberal Democrats success is more than the final destination it's a path you take one step at a time it's discipline it's teamwork and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition it's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So let's have a look at the papers. I'm looking at Lisa Nandy, the Labour mm. MP, writing about the Workington Man in The Guardian. She writes uh, that it's more complex than politicians and journalists think. Remember, this is the stereotype, essentially, of an older white man who voted leave, has no degree, lives in these so-called rugby league towns, as such, uh, Workington. She says, the idea that people in rugby league towns are waiting for Tory politicians to come and offer us protection from the accelerating headwinds of globalisation is almost as patronising as the 2014 Tory ads which promised to cut taxes on beer and bingo to help hardworking people do more of the things they enjoy. And what we've got to remember here, of course, is that Lisa Nandy is the MP for Wigan. It's one of these so-called rugby league towns. So she's essentially standing up for her people. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there was a lot of pushback against what was basically an academic, um, you know, bit of research. Um, but, you know, I think this identity politics of sort of pigeon, pigeonholing voters is um, going to be severely tested in, in the next few weeks, isn't it? Um, look, I like the piece that's in the in Politico uh, this uh, morning. It came out late last night, very late. Uh, the UK election's 12 potential biggest losers by Eleni uh, Correa. Um, talking about how unpredictable this election is going to be how few say seats there are it is simply a roll call of the biggest names in politics right Boris Johnson his majority in Uxbridge and South Ryslip is very very slim uh, not just him though it's the former Tory leader Ian Duncan Smith Theresa Villiers loads of big names Anna Subri and Jo Swinson who, who had previously lost her seat yeah she's there. been through it before she has been through it before so that's a nice piece in Politico about you know the big dogs yeah we could get some serious 25 
2015 vibes, couldn't we? People like Ed Balls, Nick Clegg losing their seats, um, which really makes some big headlines as those results roll in on the um, morning of December the 13th. And then there's this piece in The Telegraph, who'd be an MP now? No sane person, which is precisely the problem. This is Isabel Hardman writing, uh, basically questioning, why would anyone want to be an MP? It's becoming harder, you're working longer, you're targeted, you're abused, you've got all of this uh, horrible situation, they've got all of this security in their homes. It's a very different situation now. And it's something that Alistair Burt was saying yesterday, wasn't he? Compared to when he came into Parliament in 1983. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the point of that means concern around the makeup of the next uh, parliament and the quality of people who are going to put themselves forwards, put themselves up for, you know, a lot of this abuse as well as, of course, what must be a very interesting, fascinating job. Yeah, it could well be people who really, really want it for certain reasons, which means a lot more Boris Johnson's inside the House of Commons than others, perhaps. <laughs> uh, and, and you've got a lot of these instances of abuse. Labour MP Rosie Duffield telling ITV uh, that police have warned MPs not to go out complaining alone after dark. Of course, you've got this winter election. It gets dark very early. Anna Subri yesterday telling Newsnight or the day before that even her mother had had a letter threatening her security. So mm. this really is spreading out. It's something that affects everybody around you if you do go into this. Yeah, and I do think that social media obviously is going to be huge. And we were speaking to Adam Blenford, who edits our Brexit newsletter, you know, and he was uh, talking about how this is a very, very different election because of uh, all of the media sources that are going to be involved. You know, LBC, Nigel Farage, he has his own show. Jacob Rees-Mogg has his own radio programme. You know, all of these politicians that might have been much much less visible in the past are now front and centre in people's living rooms. Yeah, I remember we were talking about 2010 as the social media election, but as we've mm. had so many votes since then, the situation matures, these communities yes. develop and they become very different beasts. Anyone who's been on Twitter for that long will know that it's a very different place now. But anyway, another story making the headlines is, of course, Donald Trump involving him himself in the UK election, as you were just alluding to. He spoke to the Brexit party leader, Nigel Farage on LBC, and he said that Boris Johnson's Brexit plan will make it harder for Britain to strike a trade deal with the U.S. once it's executed. Under certain aspects of the deal, you can't do it. You can't no. do it. You, you can't trade. Well, I mean, we can't make a trade deal with the U.K. And we can be, because I, I, I think you, we can do many times the numbers that we're doing right now, and certainly much bigger numbers that you're doing under the European Union. Well, so I'm like you. I'm I know like Boris you. wants to be very careful with that. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, the problem. because under certain ways, we're precluded, that's which the would problem. be ridiculous. Yeah. So Nigel Farage and uh, President Trump there. Well, joining us now is Raphael Hogarth, who is associate at the Institute uh, for Government. Um, Look, should we start at that point then with Boris Johnson's Brexit deal? What is so unpalatable uh, to to Farage? You know, it's it's, uh, kind of weaker than May's deal, but they've come out hard against it from the Brexit party. Yes, I mean, obviously, the Brexit party needs reasons to oppose it in order to make headway in the election. So I don't know uh, how much store we should set by sort of individual detailed policy criticisms of the deal. But if you were trying to make them on behalf of the Brexit party, uh, then you might say what's objectionable is, well, there's there's still some regulatory alignment with the EU in the long term, uh, not nearly as much as there would have been under Uh, Theresa May's deal if we'd entered the backstop because of course that backstop is now uh, gone but there's still some alignment uh, for uh, Northern Ireland on Mm. regulations covering goods uh, and also potentially for the whole UK on certain types of regulation like things covering state aid Uh, and and, and at the same time uh, this deal even though it's got rid of that 
uh, Irish backstop that was in Theresa May's. It still keeps us bound by all EU law for the duration of the transition period, uh, Mm -hmm. still gives the ECJ some jurisdiction over citizens' rights. Uh, So, you know... there are ways in which this deal ties the UK to EU law and EU institutions. And of course, that's exactly what Nigel Farage has spent his whole political career fighting against. So talk to us then about this assertion from President Trump that it would make a free trade deal much more difficult. How how realistic is that? It, that is a pretty baffling assertion from Donald Trump, to be honest. I mean, so it, again, that was definitely true of Theresa May's Brexit deal, because under Theresa, Theresa May's Brexit deal, once the UK had finished its transition period, you know, when it was effectively being bound by all EU law, unless there was a new trade deal uh, by then, it would have entered essentially a customs union with the EU. And if you're in a customs union with the with the EU, you can't control your own tariffs, and so you can't make tariff concessions the US. But Boris Johnson's deal doesn't do that. Uh, In in Boris Johnson's deal, the UK can vary its own tariffs in any event. Uh, Not all of those tariff variations could apply to Northern Ireland. Uh, So that's maybe a a small trade hiccup. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, But basically, the UK does have that uh, freedom. Uh, and, and by and large, it also has regulatory freedom and so could sort of no- negotiate with the US and its regulators uh, where the US wanted to. So I, I think maybe Donald Trump's assessment of prospects is a bit out of date. OK, uh, so then if a deal with the United States is possible uh, with Boris Johnson's uh, uh, Brexit agreement with the EU, uh, we still have basically a no deal back on the agenda when that seemed to be according at least um, to most analysts and financial markets for example um, that was something that had potentially been less likely what is the path now to a no deal Brexit does that resurface as as the Brexit deadline just shifted to the end of Jan yes so I, I think no deal now means two slightly different things. So the first no deal is the one that we've been talking about for years and years, which is having no withdrawal agreement at all. Uh, and obviously, Boris Johnson has negotiated withdrawal agreement. But in order for the UK to formally enter into that, still has to pass Parliament. Uh, and so if after this general election, you have nobody's got a majority and it's still a big struggle to get anything through Parliament. And that's one potential route to uh, no deal, just not getting that through. Disorganisation, lack of action. Absolutely. Just that kind of political chaos continuing. So that's type of no deal number one. But obviously under Boris Johnson's proposed agreement, there's a sort of slightly weaker or softer form of no deal that can come further down the track, which is to say uh, at the end of the transition period, because there's now no backstop, uh, the UK could end up with no trading arrangements with the EU. Now, that's not uh, as comprehensive a no deal because it would still then have its agreements on citizens' rights and the financial settlement and all of that. But that's actually sooner than than uh, than one might think because I mean, that's the end of next year, right? It's potentially the end of next year. That's right. So the transition period in the first instance runs until the end of 2020. That's unless the UK and the EU jointly agree to extend that period, which they can do only once by up to two years and they must make that decision by July next year. So the stakes are really high for a possible second no deal. Is there any form of uh, variation on a Ben Act that can rule that out? Absolutely. I mean, that 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 could happen. So what you know, what the Ben Act did is place 
the United Kingdom government under a legal obligation to uh, seek an extension of the Article 50 period, a future piece of legislation could conceivably uh, place a legal obligation on the government to uh, seek an extension of the transition period. But they can only do it once. But they can only do that once, so you, ca- you can't rule out forever. And another thing to bear in mind in connection with that uh, is that the current Speaker of the House of Commons, or indeed he's not current anymore, he's mm. just finished, yeah. uh, John Burko, was absolutely instrumental uh, in providing opportunities for Parliament to legislate, to, to attempt to rule out no deal. He, he sort of... Uh, had some creative interpretations of parliamentary procedure that allowed MPs to take control of parliamentary time and get that legislation through. So we don't know whether his successor will take the same approach uh, and so all a bit uncertain with respect to that kind of legislation. Just very briefly, the US presidential intervention, I mean, it's very unusual in terms of just how overt it is, even bullying. Do you think that the broadcast, the social media landscape, the rules are actually fit for purpose for this election? I think there's a very big conversation in the long term to be had about the kinds of campaigning, regulation, funding uh, that the UK's current statutory scheme allows for, obviously wasn't built for social media campaigning, but I shouldn't think that that's really going to get sorted by 12th of December 2019. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.